Welcome to Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. Thanks for allowing us to share this time with you. Honestly, it's our favorite time of the day where we get to hang out together and talk about how the truth of God's Word can make a huge difference in your life. And that's what we're going to hear from Richard in a way that only he can do with words of hope, insight, and humor. You may be stuck in traffic or stuck in life. Either way, today's message is going to help get you on the right track as you learn how much God loves you right where you are. So let's get right into today's talk. Here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is Mad at Jesus Dad. So I had an extraordinary meeting one time with a couple and about an hour into it, found out that the wife was a believer and I'd never heard this. So it turns out she got saved when she was younger. So she believed in Jesus, but she was mad at his dad. And I got to thinking about that. Now, what does that even mean? So I've been chewing on that, and we're going to make a run at this today because I don't think she's the only one. Now, I'm going to share a story. I don't know if I've ever shared this story. I was 10 years old. My parents had moved us to Brazil, and we went to this American school eventually. And one night, things got crazy, and one of my sister's new friends in this school her dad stabbed her mother to death. And so somehow we ended up at her house and she came to our house. Now, if I said her name in Brazil, everybody, everybody in Brazil knows who she is. She became a Christian at 12 that night in our house, then went on to become this famous actress and not necessarily at the moment, at least, that I know of walking with Jesus. So when you're a 10-year-old little boy... And something like that goes down in the middle of the night. I don't even know if I knew what to think. I looked at her, and she's processing all this. And you say, well, but that stuff doesn't happen to everybody. But it happens. And maybe that's not something that happened to you. But what if something bad did happen to you? And see, I don't even have to wonder about that, because that's all I do all week long is sit with people. And sooner or later, they say what happened to them. And it gets pretty tricky because sometimes they're just trying to figure out how to move forward to forgive the perpetrator or as wacky as this sounds, to forgive God. Now you say, well, that's terrible. They shouldn't. That's blasphemy. No, you know, blasphemy is blasphemy. Let's don't add new things to blasphemy. People just trying to figure it out. And God knows that. He was on his throne before the universe was ever created and he'll be on his throne forever. And before Adam and Eve screwed this up for all of us, he knew he'd have an answer for us. And we'll get to that in a minute. So I hate to go heavy on you here, but if you figure out what to do with these things, there's a way forward. And if you don't, the enemy then, the devil himself, has a tremendous plan for your life. One of the number one things he'll try to do is get you to kill yourself. Now, you say, well, why would someone kill themselves? Because there's a point where the noise, where the visuals, where the past, where what happened to you overwhelms you so much. Sometimes it's not even that you want to die. It's just you don't see a way forward with all that going on and you just, it'd be better just to get out. That's not the answer. Especially if you don't know Jesus, that's not the answer. 
So go to Psalm 100, verse 5. Now, I'm going to read you some verses, and I guess I should all kind of preface this. I read a lot of scripture. You say, well, who cares what the Bible says? It's just a bunch of stuff written by men. So I get that you may feel that way, but here's what I believe. I believe that all of scripture was written by God through men for our edification, to teach us things, to show us things, to challenge us. But there's nothing in here that's just random filler. And so God writing through these men communicates with us through their words, his words through them, through their writing it down. And so I trust it. Psalm 100 verse 5, pretty simple stuff, but very profound. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. So my basic presupposition as a believer, and I get that I'm maybe talking to people who are not Christians yet, but my basic foundational presupposition is this, that God is good. He's not evil. He's not bad. He's not trying to destroy us. If he was trying to wreck our lives and destroy us, why would he have sent his son down here to save us? It could have just been a cosmic, they screwed up, to hell with all of them, and it's over. But no, he sends Jesus down here. Psalm 135, 3. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is what? He is good. Sing praises to his name. For it is pleasant. And by the way, people say, oh, I can worship him under a tree somewhere. I get all that. There is something when you got stuff on you and coming against you that if you can just get a song out, it is crazy what happens. He inhabits the praises of his people. The devil doesn't want to stay around for you singing to your dad. He's just not interested in that. Go back over to Psalm 119, verse 68. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. Now, this is hard to explain, but as we read these verses, just try to remember this. God does no evil and will tempt no one with evil and can't be tempted with evil, so the evil doesn't originate with him. You say, yes, but he allows it. And that's where you're going to have to figure out a way to trust him, even though he allows something you can't explain. I've had plenty of situations, and I'm sure you have if you're a parent, where you told your child no, and they don't understand the no. But you are older, you have a reason, you see things they don't see, you know things they don't know, and they can scream and cry and say they hate you, but you stick to your no, because if you say yes, they could die. And even if they don't like you, you're not running for office. I used to tell the girls, I'm not running for dad, I am dad, <laughs> right? I didn't campaign in the house. Please vote for me today. I am your father. She is your mother. Go to Isaiah 55. Now, this one really helps me. You can go back and read the whole context here, but I'm going to read you just a few verses out of Isaiah 55. And this is God responding to the situation there. Go down to verse 8. And if you underline things in your Bible, I still am amazed there are a lot of people that highlight with black marker. Um, I don't recommend that, but they're trying to get rid of stuff they don't like in here. So it won't go away just because you highlight it in black. Verse 8, God speaking here. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. What I am thinking about, you're probably not thinking about. And he's thinking about things no one's ever thought about. He's God. Nor your ways, my ways. 
So the way you're going about it is not the way I would go about it, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So it's impossible to even begin to communicate what that even means. He is so, so far above anything we could even come up with. So what is he thinking about? I do know this, and this is very personal to me. I do know that he is thinking good things about me. Even if I get out of line, he is not only on my side, he is on my inside. So I'm going to be okay. Now, I don't know where it's going to end up with this lady I described to you. Is she going to stay upset? I don't know, but I do know this. My book says that it is his kindness It is his gentleness that leads us to repentance. We don't operate that way. We go whack-a-mole in people, just beating them to death. And God says, okay, you're out there. Um, It's never going to work out there. And then he does something kind to you. And you're like, what in the world's going on? Why is God blessing me? He's disciplining me and being kind at the same time. What do I do with this God? Why don't you just go home? There's nothing out here for you. It's never going to work your way. And then what eventually happens? Hopefully you repent. You change your mind. You go, God, I've been a fool. And I've been defending my position and that this was going to work. It's never going to work. I'm wrong. You're right. I repent. I changed my mind. I want to come home. He goes, let's go. Come home. Now, please hear me out when I say what I'm about to say. People, I hear, get this question. Why do bad things happen to good people? There's no such thing as a good person. And you say, okay, now you're really losing me. So let's read the book. Mark chapter 10, going down to verse 17. Now, I get what you think a good person is. Now, track with me. Don't lose me on this. See, we come up with a definition of what we determine is a good person. And then if we qualify for our own definition of what a good person is, then I'm a good person. And then when I ask someone, if you died, where would you go? Or are you a Christian? Tell me about your relationship with Jesus. Sooner or later, in a high percentage of those answers, what will they say to me? I've tried to be a what? A good person as though that can rescue you. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Now, as he was going out on the road, one came running. So this guy comes running at him, knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good, but one that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he answered and said to him, teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. So this guy is pumped. He's running, kneeling, got a question, good teacher. Man, I, you know, I want to make it. I'm trying, I'm being a good person. Then Jesus looking at him, loved him. Now put those together. He's got this guy kneeling in front of him, asking all these questions, and Jesus looks at him, and I don't know anywhere else in Scripture where it says this, loved him, wow, and said to him, dude, you are so close, one thing, just one thing you lack, get up, go your way, sell whatever you have, give it to the poor, like this is exciting, you're this close, You've kept all this stuff, and I'm telling you there's only one thing left. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come take up the cross and follow me. 
That's it. That's all you got to do. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions, or as I like to look at it, great possessions had him. So none good. None is righteous. No, not one. There's no one. No one has been righteous, good, everything like you're supposed to be, but Jesus. And that's why you need Jesus. Because you're not going to make it without Jesus. And by the way, if your being good was good enough, then what kind of fool God would send his son down here to suffer and die if that's all we had to do? Keep your boy up there. Are you nuts? If there was another way, there is no other way. He is the way. So you go, well, now you're making me feel bad. I was trying to be good. And you've heard me say this around here for years. Being good is never bad. It's just never going to be good enough. So you go to God with nothing. You go, God, I'm not good. I got nothing. I got nothing to offer you that can pay for what you're offering me. So I'm asking you to swap out my nothing, less than nothing even, for your everything. And I come empty-handed, and all I can do is fall at your mercy and accept what your son did to pay for my sin, to get me into heaven. You're my only hope. He is my only hope. All right, I'm going to shotgun read you, or maybe spitfire read you some verses here. So we're going to do them all out of John. And this is John chapter 4 first. So go to John chapter 4, and then we're going to go right. And you'll see a theme when we get done here in just a second. John 4, 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Woman at the well, they went to get food. And he says, my food is to do the will. So literally nourishment to him while he was here, he's describing as his food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. John 6, 38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 8, 26, I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. John 10, 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. So this is what the Father told me to do. John 14, 30, I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the father and as the father gave me commandment, so I do arise, let us go from here. And then the last one in John chapter 15, 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, why did I read you all that? You say, well, I love Jesus but I'm mad at his dad. Jesus trusted his father, the one you don't trust. And yet you say you may trust Jesus, but you don't trust his dad to do the right thing. Jesus didn't do anything but what his father told him to do. So if Jesus didn't throw away his dad, how are you going to throw away his dad and make it? If Jesus thought he was trustworthy, he must be trustworthy. You say, but I don't understand. I don't, there's some things I don't understand. Now, I'm about to throw you off a cliff, so be prepared. There is a point, because we are finite in our thinking and our living and our reasoning and our understanding everything, there is a point, and the reason why it is living by faith is you get to a place and you don't have the answers anymore, or you wouldn't need faith. 
If you could explain it all, you'd be God. Let God be God, you be you, I'll be me, and let's just trust him. You say, but it's too hard. Okay, then this is what I, I gotta be gentle about this. My dilemma is when I do funerals and there's tiny little caskets, little styrofoam caskets with either babies that died before they were born and delivered dead, or babies that are newborn that died. And people in this room know what I'm talking about. And I gotta get up in front of them and tell them that God loves them, that he's got a purpose and a plan and you, you can trust him. Are you crazy? Trusting for what? My baby's dead. Now here's my dilemma. I got one sign with one arrow. That's all I got. And it points to him. Because there's nothing else. And either you trust him and find a way forward or you don't trust him and you will implode. You cannot carry this stuff by yourself. It's hard enough carrying it with Jesus. Don't do it without him. And when you sit with someone and they're frustrated, they're mad at God and they're, you know, calling him names, don't get all flustered. Just shut up and listen and then help them. And when they weep, you weep with them and help them down that path. One of my son-in-laws called me and he's a golfer and he was out on a range. He's white, dude on the range happened to be black. They're the only ones on the range. And if you've ever seen this son-in-law of mine hit a golf ball, you'd ask for his help as well. So this, this dude on the range didn't know anything about golf, but watched, I guess, apparently saw my son-in-law hitting golf balls and went, you know, said, could you help me? Well, it's not always a guarantee. He can if you can be helped. But uh, so then what happens? Conversation opens up, talks to him about Jesus. And the guy gets saved. Okay. Now, so a few minutes, he calls me, tells me that. So excited, so proud of him. It's extraordinary. So then a little while later, I get a video that he's forwarded me from this guy who just got saved, who is videotaping himself playing on the golf course. And he sets the camera up somewhere on the ground, and he's hitting the ball and all excited. I'm, I'm, I'm using what Tyler showed me. You know, he's not Tyler, Tyler. And then it's, I'm going to hit this MFing ball so far and effing this, effing that. And, you know, religious people go, oh, well, clearly he did not accept Jesus. <laughs> he's a few minutes old. Right? But it's MFing this and effing this and he couldn't have Jesus in there and that be coming out. What you got coming out of you? What you got coming into you? Just because it didn't on video, let's go ask your wife, husband, and kids. We don't need any video. We got testimony. Right? Leave people alone. Especially if they're newborns. You say, well, this person's not a newborn. Now listen close again. The amount of time a person has been a Christian has nothing to do with how mature they are as a Christian. You could get saved at six and do nothing about it to 36 and you say, well, I'm a mature Christian. You could be two hours old for 30 years because you won't grow up. So when you encounter that person as a big brother, big sister, if you're all that, see, this is the thing. We give ourselves away by how we treat young believers or people who are messed up or mad at dad. 
Godly people go, wow, this guy's in trouble. Then the Holy Spirit says to you, be patient, be calm, listen to him. Let's see what's going on here. What happened? Something happened. You're not a horse whisperer, but you touch somebody emotionally and they twitch and you go, something happened. Find out, listen. Then you find out where they are and help them move forward. Don't be a religious lunatic. These people are crazy people. And if you follow them around, they're the most evil people sometimes you have ever met. And then the last couple here, one of them is 1 Peter chapter 2. And this helps me kind of get my head around what's up. 1 Peter chapter 2, go down to verse 20. For what credit is it when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer... If you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously." So people say, well, I didn't sign up for suffering. Yes, you did. You want to follow Jesus? Deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow him. What do you think taking up your cross represents? Death to you. Forget that point. Start the one before. Deny yourself. You deny yourself, you're going to suffer. Because yourself ain't going to be happy. But if you're going to follow him, that's what has to happen. And then you look up and go, I'm following him. And now my whole life's changed. Is there suffering? Yes. But there's going to be suffering if you do it your way. Better to suffer for doing the right thing than the wrong thing. Straight out of the book. Then all these people upset about mad at Jesus' dad. You want to be mad at Jesus' dad over something? Be mad at Jesus' dad over letting them beat him within an inch of his life, nail him with spikes to a cross, string him up, and then abandon him on the cross. What kind of dad would do that? You want to be mad? Be mad over that. Now, I'm not really mad over that, but that's hard for me to get my head around until I realize it's not that I'm mad, I'm sad. Because that whole thing wasn't about them, it was about me. For God so much loved the world that he gave the only son he had. And then he knew that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. So that blows my mind. A God who did not stop the greatest atrocity in human history. He who knew no sin becomes sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him and abandons him so much for me that Jesus in his manhood is crying out to his father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he knew he had been abandoned there as sin to pay my way. And because he was forsaken, I will never be forsaken. We'll get back to Richard in a moment to close out today's talk. But first, I want to share something about our program. Our mission is actually very simple, to take the planet. So it's our prayer that these daily talks from Richard aren't something you only hear and enjoy, but that they inspire you to share with others. Together, we can do this. The message of the gospel is something everyone needs to hear, and that's why it's such a priority to us. So join us in this important mission. Call us at 855-6-RICHARD to say you're in. 
Or you can get on board with us through our website, richardellistalks.com. Well, here's Richard with some closing thoughts for us. So, you mad at Jesus, Dad? That's okay. He's had people mad at him for a long time. But if you're a Christian, allow the Holy Spirit to work on that. And you'd be amazed how you might come around and get on with it. And if you're not a Christian and you'd like to be one, it's pretty simple. It goes something like this. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I've screwed up my life. But I understand now that you love me, even though I don't understand what I don't understand. I do see now that you love me. You let your own son, Jesus, die on a cross, be buried and raised from the dead to rescue, to save me. Right now, I accept his payment on my behalf. I believe he died, was buried and raised from the dead to pay for my sin and to offer me eternal life, all of it a free gift. Move into my life, save me, change me. And thank you that I know now you will never leave me. You will never forsake me. I will never be alone again between here and heaven. And once this life is over, I'll be in heaven with you. I can't lose. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. There's only one reason we do this program, to take the planet with the good news of Jesus Christ. That's our message and our mission. And you have a vital part of doing that along with us. If you've been encouraged by these talks with Richard, be sure to share with someone about the change they've made in your life. And we'd love to hear your story as to how the talks have made a difference to you. Give us a call. We'd love to talk with you. 855-6-RICHARD. You can also reach us through our website, richardellistalks.com. And while you're there, check out all the fun and informative pages we put together for you, richardellistalks.com. While you're there, be sure to click on the Contribute tab at the top to send your generous gift. If the program is making a difference to you, your gift will make a big difference to us. Until next time, thanks so much for listening to Richard Ellis Talks.